Hey, Rockbridge, I hope everybody is doing great. You continue to have a great summer. My name is Matt, one of the pastors on our team. Want to welcome all of you that are watching online. Want to welcome you at our six physical locations. And also definitely want to welcome our Spanish speakers. And just excited that everyone is gathered together, however you're here, just to hear God's word. And we're continuing in our summer series called Landmines, Obstacles, Things That Get in the Way of the Journey of Faith, Things That Take Us Off the Path That God Has for Us, The Path of His Purposes, The Path of His Blessings, The Path of His Will for Our Lives. So it's been a great series so far, and we just continue to be excited about how God works when we open our minds to His Word. So I don't know if you've ever had a situation where the problem was not the problem, and what you thought was the problem was not the problem. So today's landmine is going to kind of be illustrated by me in, in, in a mistake I made when I, I realized I was standing on this particular landmine. So difficult person or someone who can be difficult in my life. And so I've sort of built this up in, in my brain and built this up in how I was viewing things and viewing this person, uh, just how I was looking, thinking about it, just negativity, toxicity, uh, anxiety whenever I would have to be around this person. And, 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 you know, and so you, you feel this way, you think this way, you feel justified for how you feel. If they just wouldn't, if they just weren't in my life, if I just didn't have to deal with them, if I just didn't have, why, what's going on? All that stuff's going on in my brain. It's affecting my psyche. It's affecting my just stress level, if you will. And so in my mind at this point, the problem is this person. The problem is this person, but it wasn't the problem. And, and sort of what describes or captures or revealed this deception that I was under, this landmine that I'm standing on, is the passage that we're going to look at this weekend in Philippians 4. Because the thing that's even crazier is I thought this person was the problem. I'm praying. I'm in church. I'm worshiping. I'm doing kind of all the things that, you know, most of us would say Christian people, spiritual people, religious people do, yet I, I, I've still got this problem. I've still got stress. I've still got negativity, toxicity kind of internally for myself and how I'm looking at this. And, and then this passage just reveals what I was missing. And this passage reveals what the real problem is slash was because it wasn't this particular person. Let's look at the Word of God in Philippians chapter 4. This is Paul speaking to the church at Philippi. Interestingly, we're not going to cover these verses, but a couple of verses before, there's a conflict going on in the church, and Paul's speaking to that. And then he comes to this general command and general promises of God around stress and anxiety and, and, and living for God. So he says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. So are you worshiping God? Check. I was worshiping. I am worshiping God. Check. So, but I've still got this problem. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. So I'm struggling to obey that command with my problem or what I thought was my problem. The Lord is near. And that does not necessarily mean the second coming is near to happen. It means God is with us. God is for us and God is with us. So we can be gracious to all people. Then it's like, don't worry about anything. Well, I'm like, I'm failing at that. That's not going so well. So I'm worshiping, I can't really, I'm not getting to graciousness with this particular person slash problem, I am worried, but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And I'm like, okay, I'm praying, I'm doing all that, 
but I'm still worried, I'm still stressed, I've still got this problem. What's the problem, right? And then the promise that goes with this and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, so it's beyond logic, it's beyond comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And so I'm reading this, and I'm like, I- I've got a problem. I'm going to say, why can I not have graciousness toward this person? Why do I have anxiety about this person? I'm worshiping. I'm praying. I'm trying. What's missing? Well, what's missing is what comes next in, in verse 8, where Paul, bring, where Paul adds a finally. So finally, like, okay, finally, the last thing that, that ties all this stuff together, that to sort of achieve this, this, this peace that passes all understanding is what Paul says next. So here's what he says. So finally, so don't leave this out, okay? Brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, so we get six whatevers. So that's very important. He doesn't have to do that, but he mentions whatever six times. So he's talking about totality, comprehensiveness around this. So whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence, if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Now that word dwell, we get our word for logic uh, in, the, in English. The Greek word sounds like, looks like logic, but dwell is thinking to a bottom line. Thinking in a comprehensive way that our thoughts, what we dwell on, what we focus on, how we think about things would always be marked by what is true, no falsehood, what is honorable versus shameful, what is just, what is fair, what is right, what is pure, what is holy, what is, uh, what is uplifting, right? Whatever is lovely whatever is admirable, whatever is commendable, if there's any moral excellence, if there's anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. The problem was not the person. The problem is how I was thinking about the problem or thinking about the person, rather. And that today reveals our landmine, which is so easy for us to be standing on and affected by and not even know it. And it's the landmine of choosing the wrong thoughts. Now, now, my choice of word, my, this word choosing is deliberate because I think a lot of us believe we can't help what we think. Now, it's true. We can think about a lot of things and have things going all in our mind, but you and I absolutely have the power and have the control to choose what we dwell on. Now, we may think a thought in like a nanosecond, and then and, and hopefully by the work of the Holy Spirit, we realize it's not true or not honorable or not just or not pure or whatever these things are listed here, but then we can dwell on the things that are in line with the Word of God. So the reason that I had this problem is I was not thinking correctly, biblically, about this person. The problem wasn't the purpose, and the problem was how I was thinking about the person. I was choosing to dwell on the wrong thoughts. And if I think incorrectly, I can think myself into anxiety. I can think myself into fear. And this reveals something that's really scary and really crazy. And it's like an untouched area of a lot of our faith journey. And here's what it is. And this is my conviction for myself, but it's the landmine for this week. It is possible to believe, to worship, and pray as Christians, but to not think as Christians. 
That, that, that to me is the missing link in the vast majority of why more of us don't look more like Jesus and don't act more like Jesus and don't have attitudes more like Jesus. That we can be in church, we can believe Christmas, Easter, Bible, yes, God exists, yes, John 3, 16, yes. We can sing Amazing Grace and we can sing all the songs and we can praise God and we can rejoice in the Lord and we can pray and ask God certain things, but we don't think as Christians and therefore so many of the promises of God, such as the one we read in Philippians 4, that the peace of God, which passes all understanding, would guard our hearts and minds, we're not realizing the full benefit or blessing of those promises because we're not meeting some of the conditions. And in this case, in my case, and the landmine case, we're choosing to dwell on the wrong things. Now, let's zoom out. And let's just talk a little bit about what it means to be a human being, okay? Every human being, which is all of us listening, English, Spanish, six locations online, we're all full-time thinkers. And God's made us that way. And he's designed us that way. We don't just act on instinct alone like animals in the wild. Like we think. And we're full-time thinkers. You never had a thoughtless day in your life. Now, you may have a day where you said, what was I thinking? But you were still thinking. And so we're all full-time thinkers. I mean, you can be a stay-at-home parent. You can own your own company. You can be a student. You can be an athlete. You can be going out on Friday night. You are a thinker. Some of us, we think privately. Some of us share our thoughts publicly. But there has never been a thoughtless day in your life. And, And the power of that and the recognition of the power of our thinking is this, that our thoughts always precede and determine our attitude and our activity. So why was my attitude the way it was? Why was all the the, the problem that I thought was the problem not the problem? I wasn't looking at my thinking. And I sort of had stinking thinking or unchristlike thinking. And so let's personalize this. Let me say this same statement. Let's personalize it. My thoughts always proceed and determine my attitude and my activity. So let's, let's reverse engineer it. If you have a bad attitude and you're tempted to blame society, culture, the news, what you read on social media, the other people, really let's go back and look at your thoughts. My attitude, my thoughts. Let's just go backwards, right? If there's activity coming out of your life that you know is unhealthy or you know is problematic, then before we do anything else, let's come and look at our thoughts because my thoughts always proceed and determine my attitude and my activity. Let's say this another way in summation. What we think matters, and it matters more than we think. What we think matters, and it matters more than we think. There's no real harmless thought if it moves to the point where we're dwelling on that thought, when we're commanded to dwell on different thoughts, true, pure, just, honorable, etc., etc., etc. Now, here's the incredible thing. If thinking is so important to our activity and our attitudes, if thinking is so important 
to our anxiety or non-anxiety. If thinking is so important to our health, our emotional health, our spiritual health, our relational health, how we view other people, how we interpret things going on all around us, if thinking is that important and God designed us to think, then it would make sense that a good, gracious, giving God who wants the best for his people would make provision for us to think correctly or biblically or in line with Philippians 4, 8. And that is exactly what we have as part of our salvation. We have the mind of Christ. That when you choose to follow Jesus, give Jesus the steering wheel of your life, when you choose to become a Christ follower, you are not only choosing a set of things or facts to believe, you are not only choosing to receive certain graces, you are also gifted with the ability to think God's thoughts after him. The ability to have not only a redeemed mind, but a renewed mind so that we think more like Christ. And that makes sense, right? The goal of Christianity is not that we just go to a good place, a perfect place when we die. The goal of Christianity is we become increasingly more like Christ as we live and represent him with more integrity while we're alive. And if we're going to represent Jesus more and more, we've got to learn to think like Christ. We've got to learn to think the thoughts of God, which is what Paul is after in Philippians 4 and what he's sharing with the church at Corinth. Hey, you have the mind of Christ. You don't have, the, you don't have a garbage dump mind. You don't have to have a mind that's held hostage by addictions or perceptions or speculations. You have the mind of Christ. Now, interestingly, spiritual warfare and what's wrong with the world, the fallenness, the brokenness of the world, all of these things came about because of what precedes attitude and activity? Thinking. Thinking. This is how Paul, when you do an autopsy of what went wrong in the Garden of Eden and what happened with Eve and the serpent and Adam and the serpent, Paul does a little autopsy of it in 2 Corinthians. And he says, I don't want this to happen to you. I don't want this to happen to, to you, uh, the church at Corinth. He says, look, I'm afraid, I have a concern that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray, led astray what? From a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. So part of our fidelity, our faithfulness, our obedience to Jesus, right, is that our thoughts are dwelling and flowing from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. And he's like, I don't want your thoughts to be led astray because that's what happened to Eve. And so he gives us some insight, sort of like an autopsy, that spiritual warfare. You know where spiritual warfare occurs? It occurs between our ears. It doesn't occur out there. It occurs in here. It occurs in our thoughts because Satan can give us thoughts. Now, we don't have to dwell on those thoughts, but he can give them. Spiritual warfare occurred in between the ears of Adam and Eve. Remember, the garden was perfect. It wasn't the presence of the serpent. That was spiritual warfare. The garden was perfect, right? It was simply that the serpent planted a thought. Eve dwelled upon the thought. When the thought of the serpent conflicted how Adam and Eve had been taught by God to think about the fruit and to think about certain things, they chose to go with what the serpent had said and how he 
had taught them to think about the forbidden fruit. And it led them astray, and then they acted on their own deductions. But it all started because the serpent, not because the serpent was there, but the serpent planted a thought. And thoughts always precede attitude and activity. And this is where we start to have to work on how to get off or navigate around this landmine of choosing the wrong thoughts because we need to understand something. There is a difference between having a thought and allowing a thought to have us. We can think something, be tempted with something, ponder something briefly for a moment, but it doesn't have to control us, it doesn't have to move us, it doesn't have to shake us. So there's a difference between having a thought, and and the serpent certainly put a thought in the brain of Adam and Eve, but then if that thought has us, that's when we move maybe in a direction we'd not like to go, or as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 11:3, hey, I'm really afraid you're going to be led astray in your thinking, in your thinking. So if we're to move past or navigate around this landmine, what do we need to do? Well, this, this, shares, this shows one thing. Our thoughts must be contested. We cannot, just because we think it, doesn't mean it's true, doesn't mean it's right, doesn't mean it's pure, doesn't mean it's just, doesn't mean it's commendable, doesn't mean it has moral excellence to it. So thoughts have to be contested. They cannot, they cannot be allowed to take root if they don't meet the whatever, the whatever, the whatever criteria that we read about in Philippians 4.3. And this is what we have to recognize. There is a competition. There is a battle for our mind. And, there's, and we have to suit up, armor up, and understand that. See, so many times we think the battle is out there. Or we think the battle is on social media or the battle's in politics or the battle is the circumstance that was handed to me, the cancer that I just received, the the challenge in this. That's not always the problem, right? As my story to begin with illustrates, the problem is are we contesting our thoughts to ensure our thoughts are in line with God's thoughts? Because we do have, if we're redeemed, the mind of Christ. Now, A little bit more about spiritual warfare, and this is something we need to all recognize. The enemy loves to send harassing thoughts, plant them in our mind, see if we dwell on them, see if we give them time and attention, harassing thoughts about God, ourselves, our situation, and other people, where we start thinking negatively, maybe maybe I can't trust God, maybe God really, maybe the mess I've made is, is, God, I'm unforgivable. Maybe God can't use someone like me. We start looking at other people, maybe like we look at them through self-righteous lens, or maybe we look at other people as as a problem rather than as an opportunity. And, and, And so the enemy loves to send harassing thoughts about God, about ourselves, or our situation. Uh, uh, My life will never be any better. The best is behind me. All those things, harassing thoughts. Now, The enemy also does something else. He also loves to send affirming thoughts about our flesh and ego. You should have been promoted by now. That person always gets the breaks and the deals you don't. You deserve. They owe. It sounds good, right? But it's just fuel from this part of us that that Jesus actually died for. Our flesh and our pride, our ego, 
our me monster, our selfie culture, right? So harassing thoughts from the enemy, affirming thoughts from the enemy. And in fact, let's do, let's, let's do this. Let's look at nine thought patterns. And you try to identify some that you succumb to. Because these, these are actually patterns. They're not just a single thought. They become a pattern of thinking. And a pattern of thinking results in a path of living. So one is amplifiers. Amplifiers love to magnify difficulty, adversity, and unpleasant situations. Amplifiers use words like always, never, no one, and every time. So something happened every time. You always amplifiers. And it's a distortion of truth. When we're commanded to dwell on whatever is true, right? Another one is feelers. All of us are feelers. Nothing wrong with that. But some of us, we accept our feelings, especially negative ones, as true without question. And how we feel affects how we're thinking and how we're seeing and how we're viewing and thus how we're acting. Uh, uh, Guessers. Guessers uh, love to speculate. They make assumptions about people and situations that are normally and almost always negative guesses or negative assumptions. Right? We misread the situation or we just go beyond the facts and, and begin to pile on negative things, negative maybes that feel like certainties in how we're thinking about people and situations. Exaggerators. Exaggerators take molehills and make them into mountains using words like horrible or ruined. I, I read this in a book here about exaggerators. They're called awfulizers. Everything's awful right, in their exaggeration, distortions of the truth. We have identifiers. Identifiers, here's how they think. They overestimate how events are related to them. Even harmless, neutral type occurrences somehow affect them, somehow become overly personal because we just of how we're identifying. We have forecasters. Forecasters are prophets. They're always worst case doom and gloom about situations, about people. Cynics who have a, not, a knack for finding something wrong with everything. And you can be a cynic in your marriage. You can find something wrong if you're looking for it always. And this is probably the dominant thought pattern of our age, of our politics, of our news, of our social media. is cynics. And I'll just say right now, God did not give us the mind of Christ to be any of these things. Especially when the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. Especially when Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Blamers point the finger. It's always they. It's always them. And blaming helps you feel a little bit better about yourself. Blaming is not always the thought pattern that leads you in the way of Christ. And then justifiers. Justifiers advocate for negativity. And they, I have every right to feel the way I feel, to think the way I think, to act the, and thus to act the way I, I act. Justifiers can say, you have no idea. Justifiers, I deserve. If you knew what I knew, if you'd been through what I've been through, if you saw what I saw, if they did that to you, you would do the same thing. They're justifiers. I don't know which one of these... Maybe is your tendency or which one of these you identify with. But here's what I want us to confess together this weekend 
as probably all of us are standing on or trying to navigate around this landmine of choosing the wrong thoughts. Let's take these and say this. This thought is not the bottom line. Remember that Greek word for dwell? The bottom line, the summative thing is whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely. This thought, these negative thoughts are not the bottom line. This pattern of thinking is not going to become my path of living. This pattern of thinking is not going to become my path my path of living. So thoughts must be contested. But there's a second truth to this. Thoughts must also be directed. Scripture talks about us having a steadfast mind. Steadfast means we stay in position. Steadfast means we're locked on. Steadfast is like when you hit your lock screen, your phone, your phone or your home screen, your lock screen, your phone goes to one spot. And that's something, maybe it's a picture of your kids, maybe it's a picture of the cross, maybe it's a picture of your favorite sports team, but you kind of, whatever that lock screen is, I mean, your mind goes there and it, hopefully it brings about positivity or joy or something of that nature. So steadfast minds have a lock screen. Our thoughts must be directed. Now, this, this is where there's a blessing and a provision for Christ followers. I think you don't even have to be a religious person, a spiritual person. You don't have to be a Christian to agree that thinking, there's a correlation between how you think and how you live. And we've, already been, we've been talking about this. You, you, probably don't, you don't have to be a Christ follower to, to realize, man, there's some thoughts I just can't think about. I gotta, you, you might even say, I've got to get out of my head. I've got to get my mind off of this. So all of us probably agree that our thoughts need to be contested. The Christ follower has an advantage because we have a means, a mechanism of where our thoughts need to be directed that's most helpful, most edifying, and puts us on the path to God's best for our lives, our relationships, our future, our purpose etc., etc. Look at, look at these scripture verses about directing the mind, about directing thoughts. Colossians 3, set your mind, where? On things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Now look, where you set your mind is in relation to the life you have in Christ. And this is an ongoing practice. 2 Corinthians talks about 10.5, we destroy arguments and lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. So things come up against the knowledge of God. Things come up harassing thoughts sent by Satan, right? Or affirming thoughts of our pride, flesh, and ego. We destroy that. How? We take every thought captive and make it obey Christ. So powerful, right? Then in 2 Timothy, listen to what Paul says as he's been talking and writing and, 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 and sharing things. He says, think about what I'm saying. The Lord will help you understand all these things. So we have to think, but we also have to ask God to give us understanding around his word, around his teachings, around his gospel. And then he says, always remember something. Remember, that's a, that's a function of our brain, of our thinking. That Jesus Christ, the descendant of King David, was raised from the dead. This is the good news I preach. So when he's asking us to think, when he's asking us to ask the Lord to help us understand, it all has a gospel-centered, gospel-directed, gospel flavor to it. There's a gospel, uh, there's a gospel taste to our thinking, a, a gospel centrality to our thinking. So when we're thinking about contesting and then directing our thoughts, here's a couple of handlebars of application. The first is this. Meditation and scripture memory are musts. Meditation and scripture memory are musts. 
I, 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 I want to ask all of us, would you seek this week to memorize one verse of Scripture? Maybe it's a verse of Scripture that helps you contest a negative thought. Maybe it's a verse of Scripture that helps you set your mind on things above. Maybe it's a verse of Scripture that speaks to a thought pattern that you realize is putting you on a path that you don't want to be on. We need to seek to memorize Scripture. Meditation is just the action of the mind dwelling on a certain truth, dwelling on things. I, I find it remarkable that people are like, I don't know how to meditate. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. You have meditated on maybe your worst fear. You've meditated on a problem. You've meditated on something that you think might or might not happen two or three days from now. You've had a meeting next week, and, you've, and you, that meeting has there's high stakes for your company or high stakes for your family, and you're thinking about it all the time. Uh, that's meditation. What we're just invited to do, and Paul says, dwell on these things, think on these things. He's saying, meditate and dwell on the right things, the truthful things, the things that have been achieved by the gospel, the things that are of God and of Christ. Now, we have a unique challenge that's emerged since 2007 when smartphones hit the market. You realize they hit the market in 2007, but like 2000, by 2011, almost everybody, at least everybody in America, had one. And so it's not only the content on the screen, but it's the presence of the screen. And it affects us because we only have so much mental energy and mental capacity. And if we can never, because we're so distracted or we're always feeding on what's coming, what's coming, what's happening, what's happening all around the world, what's happening, what's happening, what's happening. If that's always going on, when can we dwell? When can we meditate? In fact, they, there's an amazing study. I just read about this study. Amazing study. They took some college students, gave them tests. They put all their phones on silent and then divided them up into three groups of people. Three groups. Group one... Could not, did not have their phone with them at all during the test. Group two had their phone on the table, but it was face down. All phones were on silent. And then group three <clears throat> had their phones in their pockets. Guess who did better on the test? In fact, the scores correlated that the farther the, the person was away from their phone, the better they did on the test. And nobody got a notification. They're all on silent. What does that tell you? That, that, that those digital computers that are just always in, with us and we freak out, well, where's my phone? We freak out when we don't or we, oh, I got a text, oh, I got this. What's that doing to our brains? It's certainly not helping us dwell. So I think all of us here today, yes, let's memorize some scripture, but how about let's have some Sabbath, that, that word literally means stop. How about let's have some Sabbath for our brains, away from our screens, Maybe it's date night, and you and your wife need to, or you and your spouse need to put the phone in the car, leave it in the car, right? Maybe it's family dinner, family night, whatever. But not, maybe it's worship service where you leave your phone. What if somebody needs me? What did we do before 2011? I would just submit that our thinking is too important to allow all of that to be uncontrolled and unregulated. When meditation and scripture memory, dwelling on truth, dwelling on truth are musts in order to think well. Because remember, 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 right? You can worship and believe and pray like a Christian and still not think like one. But it's the thinking that results in attitude and activity.
So whatever we feed our mind becomes our mindset. The last handlebar we'll share is this. Question thinking, contest thinking, and take captive certain thoughts. Here's the question. I was thinking about this, praying about this earlier this week in preparation for this weekend. Is there one question that I can always ask to know if I'm thinking right? First, I think we need to be willing to ask, hey, am I thinking right about this? I think that's a great question in small groups and, and with D groups and spiritual accountability, people that speak into your life spiritually, and we all need those people. I, I, I think, am I thinking right about this? It's a valid and very important question. Here's the question that helps us discern whether we're thinking right or not. Is my thinking about this, about him, about her, is it being shaped by the good news of the gospel? My thinking about God, others, myself, and my circumstances. It's just a couple of examples, right? I think there's a lot of people who think you can put God, you, know, that you can earn brownie points with God, or you have to earn his, earn his favor. You don't earn. The gospel tells me I can't earn anything. I can only receive it. It's grace-based. There's people, when they, when they look at themselves in the mirror, they think ungospel thoughts. They don't see someone Jesus died for. That they see what the person that you know, made fun of them sees. They see what the person that criticized them. And they certainly enthrone the criticism rather than enthrone Christ and the gospel. So there's so many ways. You, man, is this a gospel thought? Is this a thought directed by the good news? If you're a doom and gloom person and you're naturally pessimistic, I just want to tell you something. That's not of the gospel because the gospel hinges upon an empty tomb. So is the gospel shaping how I'm viewing things? Listen, think about other people. All of us have difficult people in our lives. I started the sermon talking about one in mind. All of us have difficult people. The gospel is how God dealt with difficult people. Do you know who the difficult people were to God? Me and you. And he died for me and you. So we can't be negative about other people. We can't be unloving. The gospel is the epitome of, of enemy love, how to love your enemies because we were at odds with God and he still pursued, he still died for us. So is my thinking shaped by the good news? Now here's how we're going to close as we move into prayer and worship. I'm just going to put some truths that are gospel-centered truths on the screen for us. And maybe some of these grab you, and that's where you sit in prayer. That's what you dwell upon for the rest of the service, maybe for another week or month, or you find a scripture verse from this truth, this gospel-centered truth, and you're like, that's what I'm going to memorize. That's where I need to dwell. That's where my mind needs to go. So right now, I'm just going to say a prayer over us. We're going to pray with our eyes open. That's okay. We're going to ask the Holy Spirit to take these gospel-centered truths and bring them home to our heart and allow our minds to dwell on the thoughts that are derived from the good news of Jesus. Here we go. In Christ, I am strong and mighty. I have the same power that raised Christ from the dead dwelling inside of me I am a weapon of righteousness in a world of darkness. 
I am not my past. I am not what I did. I am who God says I am. And he says, I am forgiven, redeemed, and free. I have the mind of Christ directing my thoughts. I have the word of God guiding my steps. Worry is not my master. I trust in God. The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. God is for me. God is with me. No weapon formed against me will prosper. I am not a slave to bad habits, nor a prisoner of addiction. I have been rescued from the power of darkness and brought into the kingdom of God's light. I am chosen, I am called, I am God's masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Nothing can separate me from God's love. Not death, not demons, not the present, nor the past. No power on earth will ever separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, my Lord. Bow your heads and let's pray together. The Word of God says, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Holy Spirit, may we think thoughts right now that are true, lovely, pure and just, commendable and excellent. May we dwell on these things. Holy Spirit, we're just going to give you undivided attention as we dwell on truth. You're the spirit of truth. Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. We just invite you to help us right now have the mind of Christ. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Son. Thank you, Holy Spirit. It's in your name that we pray.